right, let's go to the book of First Epistle, First Epistle of John. Tonight, uh, we're in our second week of the study of this book, written by the Apostle John. How many were with us last week? Just real quick, by a show of hands. All right, most of us, yeah. Uh, just a quick review. Um, this is probably the last book chronologically in the Bible that was written. And um, John wrote this book in his old age. And, you know, most Bible scholars probably think that uh, he probably was close to 100 years old, um, was, was the Apostle John. And, um, and chronologically, this is not, the books of the Bible are not arranged in our Bible by history of how they were written. All right. I think there's an inspiration to how they were written, but chronologically, that's not the order that you have them in your Bible. Um, chronologically, First John is probably the last uh, canon of Scripture that we have. Um, so this is probably the last book that was written. And what I think is pretty funny is, is if you go to the last chapter... In the last verse, which is 521, chapter 5 of verse 21 says, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Amen. So the last recorded bits of scripture that we have in the Bible, it starts with, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1.1. And John 1.5 says, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. I thought that was just kind of an, a, a pretty cool little, uh, what's that? Where are you at now? 1 John 5, 21. Oh, 5, 21. Okay. I'm sorry. That's all right. You see that? See the last verse of the Bible? Yes. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. All right? So that was probably the last recorded uh, piece of scripture we have in the Bible. Of course, we all know that uh, Revelations 20 uh Twenty-two, twenty-one. the last verse of the Bible says, Now the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And that's how John, who wrote the book of Revelations, ended that book. Now we know that the Apostle John, he wrote the Gospel of John, the Epistles of John, and the book of Revelation. All right. We learned last week that the Epistles of John, there are three of them. The first one has five chapters. The last two are just one chapter. Small little letters, a chapter apiece. So all in all, the epistles of John comprise of seven chapters, which I think is funny because seven was John's favorite number, probably. If you read his books, you'll know he was very keen on the number seven. Um, but, you know, chapters and verses weren't in the original text of Scripture. They were added much, much later for our convenience. And aren't you glad? Amen. So, we also saw last week um, that this letter was written in a time period where a false religion called Gnosticism was starting to creep into the, into the church. Um, the Gnostics believed that material matter was evil, that evil existed in material. You'll see a lot of this creep into our Eastern religions, they believe that evil dwells in the material realm. And so they try to, so the further you can get from material or materialism, the closer you can get to nirvana. Well, we know that's false because the Bible says God looked at creation and he saw that it was what? Good. God does not believe, and it is not true, that material is evil. Um, so that, that philosophy that material matter is evil is a false doctrine. And because the Gnostics believed that material matter was evil, they did not believe that Jesus had a body. They believed that Jesus was a spirit, that he was a phantom, um, that he was a, um, you know, he was a mist. And so because of that, they were wrong. And, John, in when he's writing this book, in verse 1 of chapter 1, 
It says that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes and which we have looked upon and our hands have handled. Our hands have handled the word of life. All right. So John is saying, hey, look here. Jesus was not a phantom. He was not a ghost. He was a he had real skin. He had a body. And he says, we've handled the word of life. And that's, that's what he's hitting here when these people are trying to say that Jesus did not exist in a body. There are many false religions today that claim that Jesus, who we worship as Lord and Savior, did not have a body. The Muslims don't believe that he had a body. They believe that he was a phantom that came and did a ministry on earth and then went back up. Well, that's, as we're going to see later on, if Jesus did not have a body, then how did he die for our sins? You see, and if we do not have the remission of sins, if we do not have forgiveness of sins, then man, according to them, dies still while it remain in their sins when they die. All right. So it's a very important. And John is hitting this that Jesus did have a body. He said, we saw him. We felt him. We touched him. We looked upon him. He is a real person. Amen. And um, and so that's important for us to know that. Verse two, it says that life was manifested and we've seen it and we be bear witness and we show it unto you that eternal life, which was with the father and was manifested unto us. All right. Now, in verse 4, he gives us one of the things of why he has written this book. He says, these things write we unto you that your what? Your joy may be full. Amen. Now, we also saw in verse 5, he said, this is the message which we have heard of him. And we declared unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Amen. We saw that he is light. Last week we talked about, the Bible says that in him is no shadow of turning. All right. And if you're the object of the light, if, if, if you're the object of light, there can be no shadow cast upon you. Now, if Jesus was the subject and the light was here and the light was shining on the subject, there would be a shadow. But Jesus is the light. And that's why in him there is no shadow of turning because he is the light. Genesis says, in the beginning, God said, let there be light. All right. I want to show you something in reference to um, when we talked about last week that there was light before there was sun and moon. All right. There was light before there was sun and moon. Go over to the book of Revelation. And we'll go to, uh, let's see. What verse is that? Let me just see here real quick. First chapter 22, the last chapter, and look at... um, Well, let's just start at the beginning of that chapter. Chapter 22 of the book of Revelation. Everybody there say amen. amen. All right. It says, now he showed me a pure river of water, a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the lamb. And in the midst of the street of it and on either side of the river was there the tree of life which bare twelve manner of fruit, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. Verse 4, And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, And they need no candle, neither the light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Amen. So who gave them the light? The Lord did. 
And it says right there, they need no sun or moon for the Lord gave them the light. So in the beginning, when God said, let there be light, right? God was saying, let there be a revelation of himself. Let man know, let creation know that Jesus, the son of God, is the light of the world. Amen. He said, let there be light. And there was light. And it says light divided the darkness. Amen. And we talked about last week, if we was to turn these lights off and then turn them back on, you wouldn't see darkness hang around for a minute while it made up its mind whether it wanted to leave or not. Darkness just goes immediately, immediately when light is present, darkness goes. Amen. Amen. So back to first John. In verse seven of chapter one, it says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, where it says the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us, the the verb there is a continual, constant cleaning. In other words, as you walk in the light, the blood of Jesus continues to cleanse us from sin. So the key to being cleansed of sin is to stay in the light. Amen. Amen. One of the biggest things, how many have experienced this when you do, when you sin and you fall and the first thing the devil tries to kick you down and makes you feel like you're not worthy. Like you can't come around church, like you can't come around Christians, like you're not allowed to read your Bible. You're not allowed. If you put on praise and worship, you're a hypocrite. How can you how can you praise the Lord after you just committed that sin? You know, he tries to make you feel like you're not worthy. Now, that is totally unbiblical because the Bible says walk in the light as he is in the light and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son continues to cleanse us from all sin. All right? It continues to cleanse us. So what's the key? When you fall, when you slip into the darkness, you've got to turn on the light immediately. One of the worst things a believer can do is let sin get a foothold on their life. Let the lies of the enemy get a foothold in your life. Short accounts with God is what every believer should keep. The minute you fall, you should be right there asking the Lord for forgiveness. And then the enemy will come along and he'll try to kick you down and say, well, you've done this a hundred times. You've done this so many times. You know, you're just going to do it again. Or how can the Lord forgive you when you keep on doing this? All right. Well, listen to this. Verse eight. This is a these next three verses. First of all, ought to be underlined in every believer's Bible, and they ought to be like part of the uh, the Christian survival kit or the Christian first aid kit or whatever you want to call it. All right. I'm telling you, man. It says in verse eight. Now look at this. First of all, in verse eight, it says this: If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. John is going to tell us a few things that people say. Now, we're going to see and we know very clearly that what we say and what we do are two different things. What we say and what we are are two different things. John says here, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Well, first of all, why is that? Romans 3 declares, for all have sinned. Amen? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All right? Romans, later on in 5.12, um, it says this in Romans 5.12. Um, you can turn there if you want. Romans 5.12, while we're there, while we're just talking about it. Look at Romans 5.12. It says this. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, so that death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. 
All right. So whether people like it or not, sin was passed upon them by Adam. And they say, well, how do you know that? I said, did you have a great grandfather that died or a great great grandmother that has died? And they say, yes, that is proof that sin was passed from Adam to you because death came by sin. Sin was first, then death came. So the very fact that there is death in the world today is proof that all have sinned because all die. Amen. So that is the one fundamental truth that every human being has to acknowledge about themselves, that they are a sinner. Now, if you go to a lot of people, they don't like to be told that. They don't like to be told that they're a sinner. They like to be told, I'm an okay person. I've not done anything wrong. I pay my taxes. I've never, I, I've never been in jail. I have a clean driving record. You see, they automatically are ignorant of the scriptures there when they talk like that. They don't realize that sin is not what you do. It's who you are. And you do what you do because of who you are. Amen. You know, a horse thief, was he a thief before he stole the horse or after he stole the horse? He was a thief before he stole the horse. And the fact that he stole the horse proved he was a thief. All right. Because if he wasn't a thief, he would have never stole the horse. All right. So our job as evangelists for the Lord Jesus Christ is to show people that they, we are all under sin because of the curse passed down by Adam. And we got to get our eyes off the actions and onto the nature. Okay. Every human being has a fallen nature, has a, has an old sin nature that was passed on by your mom and your dad. And they got it from their mom and dad. All right. It's not a new thing. David said, while I was in my mother's womb, I was formed. I was fashioned in iniquity. All right. So, you know, it happened in the womb before you were even out of the womb. And that's pretty heavy stuff. All right. So when he says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. What John's talking about there, he's talking about the sin nature that's indwelt in every human being. Okay. And so if somebody says, well, I, I am not a bad person. Well, the truth is not in them. All right. Now look at verse nine, though. So after verse eight, we have to acknowledge that we are a sinner. Verse nine Now, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. Now, if we confess, confession is made with the tongue. Belief is. Or faith is made in the heart. When you speak, you are just confirming what is already in your heart. All right. That's what Paul said. He says, for with the heart, man believes and with the mouth, confession is made. Amen. Romans 8, 9 and 10. Let me read that to you real quick. I don't want to misquote it. Romans chapter 8. Verse 9 and 10 says this. Um, it ain't 9. What is it? Uh, is it? Sorry, 10. Romans 10, 9 and 10. Yeah. Romans 10, chapter 9 says, If you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and shall believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. 
For with the heart, man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. All right? So the heart believes unto righteousness, and the mouth confesses salvation. So he says, if we confess our sins, we cannot fall into the trap in this when I was an early Christian, and I've heard this a lot, and there's a lot of people that believe this, that if you was to die without unconfessed sin, you would go to hell. That's not true. Okay? That is not true. The Bible says that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. Our sins are forgiven. Past, present, and future. Okay? There is no... You cannot be trapped in your sins. When you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you were born again and you receive the Holy Spirit and you receive the newness of life, you were born again and you have eternal life. You do not lose your eternal life by forgetting to confess a sin. People live in bondage thinking all the time, oh, man, if I got any unconfessed sin, they're afraid to, to, to go to sleep or they're afraid to do this. They're afraid to do that, thinking that all of a sudden if they if they've messed up, they rack their brains trying to think of, you know, is there any con- unconfessed sin, Lord? Is there anything I've done wrong? Is there any-? That's bondage, man. That's not liberty in Christ Jesus. OK, that's not liberty in Christ Jesus. But what Paul, what John is talking about here, though, the power of confessing our sins is getting your heart and your mind, your conscience cleansed that you are the child of God. It's reaffirming who you are in Christ Jesus. It's applying the blood to your conscience. Your spirit is saved. When you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, your spirit, you're saved. But what's not saved? The mind has to be renewed all the time, doesn't it? The mind has to be transformed. The mind has to be, you know, brought under the word of God. So when we confess, Lord, forgive me of my sins. He is faithful, it says. We apply that he is faithful and just to forgive us. We receive afresh the forgiveness and the cleansing and our righteousness. It says he cleanses us from all righteousness. Where does he cleanse that righteousness from? Uh, unrighteousness from? Does the unrighteousness, is it being cleansed from the spirit man? No. no. It's being cleansed from the carnal mind. It's being cleansed from the, the, the mind that still is remembering the things that you've committed or the condemnation that you're receiving because you've fallen into some sort of a sin. So it's cleansing us, it's cleansing our minds and restoring us back unto God. And this is why it's so important that we do this straight away. Now it says, he is faithful and he is just, all right? He's faithful and he's just. Faithful, let's dwell on that for a second. He says he is faithful. The Lord, when you come to him, he will never say, nah, not this time, man. You've just, that's just too, I just can't go another mile with you in this situation. He never says that. He is faithful to forgive us. As faithful as he was to go to the cross, as faithful as he is to forgive you. If you come to him, he will not turn you away. He even told his disciples, how many times should we forgive one another? Seven times 70? Seven times 70 is what? 490 times in one day. All right? Seven times 70. Where's that at? Let's go to there real quick. Seven times 70. Uh, That's in, uh, let's see, Matthew. Matthew 18, 22, and put a little reference there right next to 
John chapter 1, verse 9, and put a reference of Matthew 18, 22 there. Now, let's go over there real quick. Matthew 18, 22. And we'll start at verse 21. Say amen when you're there. <clears throat> All right, Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. It says, Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? In other words, Peter's saying, How many times can my brother sin against me and I don't have to forgive him anymore? Can he sin against me seven times, Lord? And that's the only... Should, should I forgive him just seven times? That's what Peter's asking here. And look what Jesus says in verse 22. Jesus said unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. So that's seven times 70, which is 490 times. All right? A day. Hmm? What this is is basically common among Aramaic speaking people it's a euphemism it really is saying refuse to hold grace in the first place yeah yep so if a person comes I don't think I don't know about you but I have never messed up with the Lord 490 times in one day I haven't I mean, I have messed up a lot. I've, you know, there'll be some times where I'm thinking, man, I've really, I've really messed up here. All right. And then the devil will beat your head in and he'll try to make you think like you're the scum of the earth and you don't, you're not going to get forgiven. But you go to this scripture and I just, this is what I use for comfort. And I see what you're saying, brother. But for me, I'm just taking the word as the word says. And I use this as a comfort. Like, well, Lord, I'm not on 490 yet. So I know I got some, I know I got some grace coming still, you know. And what I do then is, as I say, 490 times, I haven't been there yet. And so I know I can come over to 1 John now, what I'm talking about here is what David did in Psalms 51. When David sinned and he slept with Bathsheba and he sent her husband to the front line and basically murdered him, proxy. He, he was an adulterer and a murderer in one day. How's a guy like that recover? How do you recover from such a thing? How do you recover and get yourself back right, restored in the Lord, renewed in the Holy Ghost, more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus? How do you get back there? You do what this is saying here. You use 1 John verse 9, and you say, if, he confess, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us, man. Amen? Amen? He is faithful to forgive us, right? He's faithful to forgive us. He, I know he won't turn me away because he just told Matt, Peter, you know, seven times 70, brother, 490 times. David didn't sin 490 times with that Bathsheba ordeal, okay? Now... So he's faithful. The next thing it says here is that he is just to forgive. He's not only faithful, but he's justified to forgive you. Why is he justified to forgive us? Because the penalty of that sin that I just committed was put on his shoulders. And he paid the death for that sin. Not me. He paid the death for that sin. All right? If you look at verse 2 of chapter 2, if you're still there, it says, He is the propitiation for our sins. 
That word propitiation is a big fancy word for he is the punishment for sin. All right. In Hebrews, that word propitiation, the Greek word there um, is used for the word mercy seat. And back in the Old Testament, once a year, they would put blood over what? They would cover the mercy seat. Do you know what the mercy seat is? In the, in the Holy of Holies of the tabernacle of the Hebrews, they had the Ark of the Covenant. Anybody ever seen Raiders of the Lost Ark? All right, we know what the Ark of the Covenant is. Well, the Ark of the Covenant had this, the top of it, all right, the lid was called the mercy seat. It was where the cherubims, where two angels were facing each other with their wings towards one another. And under those wings, there was a little... There was a little table or a little plate and it was in the, on top of that little seat there is where the blood once a year on the day of atonement, the blood was sprinkled on that. And what that did is that covered all the tribes of Israel. It covered them for a year for their sin. And as a nation, they were declared holy. All right. And they weren't, they, they escaped punishment. Now, the Bible says in the New Testament, it says that Jesus is the mercy seat. That he is not what was a seat of judgment became a seat of mercy. And Hebrews tells us to run boldly to the throne room of what? Of grace. See, because Jesus himself took the penalty. He became the punishment. When I fall and when I sin, I feel like I deserve a punishment, but I have to put my eyes on the mercy seat that says, no, Jeremy, you deserve the punishment, but I became your punishment. And that's what propitiation is, is that Jesus became my punishment. All right? And so... That's why he is not only faithful to forgive, he's also, he is allowed to forgive. He has permission to forgive. The Bible says he is justified to forgive. Amen? He, so he is just to forgive us of our sins. So not only is he faithful, he will do it, but he's just or he's allowed to do it. Amen. He will do it. And also he's allowed to do it because he is, he is justified. He's able. So, so just remember that. And, and what I find about this, the, this verse, chapter one, verse nine, the quicker you can apply this to your failures and your fall and your sin, the better off you will be. You let this thing go one, two, three, five, seven, ten, fourteen days. Man, it gets harder and harder. Man, you need to apply the forgiveness of your sin immediately. Immediately it needs to be done. And your conscience will say, Oh, you don't deserve it. Oh, you've done this a hundred times. Oh, you can't get over this. You'll never get the victory. Da 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 da. And you know what you do? You just say, Well, it's only been a day, and the Lord Jesus said. 490 times. <laughs> so I'm so so I'm coming. Cuz I know I'm not going to fall down nearly 500 times in one day. That just has never I don't know about you, that's never happened to me. It's never happened. It's never it's just never happened. So in verse 10. Now look at this, he says, "If we say that we have not sinned, so the first the first uh, part of eight is talking about our sin nature. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. If you say that you do not have a sin nature or that sin has not been passed on to you from Adam, you are deceiving yourself, brother. Right. You're deceiving yourself. And then here's for the self-righteous folk in verse 10. Now, if you say that you have never sinned, well, you make him a liar and his word is not in you. Because there ain't a person in this room that's not committed to sin 
we're all sinners by nature, and every one of us here have committed sin, and every one of us in this room need verse 9. That's what he's trying to say. He's like, if you say that you have not sinned, will you make him a liar? Well, what do you mean? Why do you make him a liar? Because he just said, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. If we've never sinned, then why does he, we need forgiveness? If we don't sin, why do we, why does it say that we need Jesus as our high priest who constantly makes intercession for us? Why do we need to go through this constant ritual of, 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 of being, confessing and being clean? If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his what? His word is not in us. So one says the truth is not in us. Verse 10 says his word's not in us. If you say that you've never committed sin and you don't need to confess your sin, you are making him a liar and God's word is not in you. All right. We need it. Chapter two. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. All right. So the first thing he says, I write these things unto you that your joy may be full. Second, I write these things unto you that you sin not. So does verse nine give us a license to just to keep on sinning all the time? No, that's not God's will. That we constantly sin, but he knows because we have a fallen nature, we're going to sin. We're going to miss the mark. There'll be days where you're flying high in the Holy Ghost and you don't even, you just, you just are just victory all day long. But then there'll be other days, man, where you feel like, my God, am I even saved today? Am I even saved today? Well, guess what? I have to answer myself. Yes, I am saved. Why? Because my salvation is based on who I believe in and not what I do. All right? It's called sanctification, justification, and glorification. Remember, we are justified from the penalty of sin. That's when we're born again in our spirit. We're sanctified or we're set apart from free from the power of sin. Okay, that's sanctification. That happens in the soul of man. We're glorified. Our glorification will come when this body will be changed. The sin nature of this body will be transformed and we will get a brand new body like Jesus got, right? We will be glorified and then we will be delivered from the presence of sin. We were already delivered from the penalty. Right now we're dealing with the power of it and pretty soon we'll be delivered from the presence of it. Okay. It's justification, sanctification, glorification. Verse nine is for our sanctification so that we can continually walk in a victorious life following Jesus Christ in this decaying body, all right? This decaying body that likes the appetites of this world. This body came from this earth, and there are things in this earth that this body loves. But the Word of God encourages us to cast off, put off what this body desires and through our soul reach towards heaven where our new body, praise God, one day is going to come. We're going to catch up to it. Hallelujah. But right now we need to receive it by faith, even though we can't see it. And the Holy Spirit within us helps us tap into that reservoir of power and we can live a victorious, sanctified, holy Christian life in this decaying body. Amen. But for the days that we wake up and we had too much chicken wings the night before and we're just so full of the flesh, we need these verses. 
Now, so we know here that it ain't God's will. He doesn't give us, you know, mercy so that we can continue to sin. We see right here in John, he says, I write unto these things to you that you sin not. So it's my will that we don't sin. But if any man sin, in other words, he knows if any man sin, if any man sin, we have a what? An advocate with the father. That word advocate is parakletos to come alongside of. It's the same word that Jesus described the Holy Spirit when he said, I will send to you a comforter. All right. I will send para, which is like where we get our word parallel alongside of. I will send someone to come alongside of. All right. Jesus, the advocate, he's the parakletos with the father. In other words, and what does the what does an advocate do in our legal system? They states our case. They states our case. So what's he saying here? If any man sin, we have the greatest defense attorney in heaven. All right. Jesus is our defense attorney. You know, you ever seen those guys, you know, that they, they, you know, you can see them on TV or, you know, they've got the big shot lawyers that they can get anybody out of jail, can't they? I mean, they can get anybody's charges dropped. Amen. Well, we've got somebody even better than them, somebody more holy, somebody more righteous. We've got the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is like a great defense attorney. And when you sin, the devil's a prosecutor, man. And he's up there in the throne room in the court of heaven. And he's like, ah, that Jeremy, did you see what he did down there? He's doing it again. Did you see him down there, Lord? Did you see him down there? Stating his case on why I should be judged, on why I should have the book thrown at me. But then here comes Jesus, man. He's the greatest defense attorney in the world. And he says, Father, Jeremy's innocent. Because if you check the records, the penalty for that has already been paid. And there's no devil jeopardy in heaven. Amen. You cannot get tried twice. We were all tried and found. He was found guilty and we were found innocent at Calvary. The trial has already been tried and you can't have another trial. Amen. So I've heard somebody say they, the devil must have brain damage because why he continues to try to, you know, make us think that, you know, this is not the case. But that's what he always does. He always tries to deceive us. You know, this is the truth. But he comes alongside and tries to deceive us and make us think it's not. All right. So my little children... Now, that phrase, my little children, is such an intimate phrase when John's talking here. Remember, he's, he's like 100 years old when he's writing this. And that would be like somebody saying, how many have grandchildren here in the room? You know, you know that how you use that term towards your grandchildren. You'd be like, my precious, my precious grandchild or my sweet little grandchild, you know, my dear, my dear precious one. You know, there's such a when John's talking about sin. He's talking so sweet and intimate with, with, the, with the church here. He's not slapping them around. He's really, you know, he, he loves them. Amen. You know, and, and I don't think even John, when, he, when I read this thing, when I, and I said this last week, when we read this letter, John is not living in sin consciousness. He's so overcome with the love of God. And we should be so overcome with the love of God. That we don't even, we're not worried about sin. And really, to be honest with you, that's the kind of love that should be washing over on each other. We should be overcome, so overcome with the love of God that he has for us and has with one another. That we're not going around trying to figure out what's wrong with each other. That we're so consumed with the love of God that we're just intoxicated by it, that we're, you know, some people say love is blind. You know, that's, that's a good thing. We always use it as a negative. Oh, love is blind. They can't see the faults in their children. Heck no, they can't see the faults in their children because they love their children. That's why. 
They love their children so much to where, you know, they don't dwell on the, the negative and the wrong that's in them. And I tell you, that's the kind of love that he's talking about here that we need for ourselves first and then for each other. You know, remember, love God, love yourself, love each other. Receive God's forgiveness, forgive yourself, forgive each other. You know, there's a lot of times people are having fights with one another because really they just can't forgive themselves. They can't seem to get over their own faults and their own and forgive themselves for what they've done. They keep holding themselves captive. And I'm like, man, God hasn't held you captive. Why are you holding yourself captive? You know, are, is your, you know, are you better than God? If God can forgive you, Huck, who do we think, if God can forgive us, who do we think that we're better than God that we should have some sort of a different standard or have a different attitude towards ourselves? No, what happens is, is that we feel shame or we feel guilt or regret. And that's why we must let the word build us up into who we are. So he says, we have an advocate with the Father. He is also Jesus Christ, the what? The righteous. All right. So he's, 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 a, he's a great defense attorney. He's righteous. He's right standing. And verse 2, he is the propitiation for our sins. All right. So he's the advocate. He's the righteous. And he is the propitiation or he is the, he received the penalty. He's the penalty taker. All right. Or he received the punishment. And look at this. This is powerful. Not for ours only, but also for what? The whole world. See, there's some false cults out there that teach that Jesus only, his forgiveness only applies to them that believe. That he only died for the believers. That the unbelievers he didn't die for. That's false doctrine. The Bible says, John said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. The whole world, you see. Listen, that's why Jesus is justified to forgive you and me. Because he didn't just die for a set, a, a, a small club. You see, he paid the price for the whole world. That's even though maybe the whole world won't receive him, he still did enough that if the whole world would have received him, that the whole world could receive him. Amen? Amen. That's what I love about the Lord. It's like a fair playing field. He didn't just do it for a small little group over here. Just for a small minority. He died for the sins of the whole world. And I find that it's because he died for the sins of the whole world that he can justify us. It wouldn't, I don't think it would be fair or right that Jesus could justify me as a holy one. If there was a whole set of people over here that didn't have a chance to get what we have. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That wouldn't feel good. That wouldn't seem right. Yeah. I, that's why I know that it says he is just to forgive us or he's justified to forgive us. Why is he justified to forgive us? Because even though we may be a minority of people that believe in him, he died. The penalty was paid for everybody. Yeah. You see. So don't believe in that that crazy Calvinistic doctrine that says that, you know, God only, Jesus only died for those who believe in him. And that's the way some of the Calvinists teach. It's horrible teaching. And it's just not, it's just not true. It, I don't know where they, what Bible they're reading. Have they not read this part of the Bible? Have they not read John the Baptist's testimony? Because... You know, but you see, this is what happens when men sit in a room and they just sit there and just blah, blah, blah. uh, uh, And you just the Bible calls it vain babblings. 
and they just talk, 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 talk till they just dissect the scripture so much that they end up coming up with stuff that ain't even in the word of God. Amen. All right. We're almost finished here. So verse three, he died for the whole world. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. And he that says, I know him and keeps not his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in them. All right. So there's another one. He that says, he that says, I know him and keeps not his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whosoever keeps his word in him verily is the love of God perfected. And hereby know we that we are in him. Praise God. I'll leave it right there. We're out of time tonight. Um, I hope you got something out of this. Let's pray. Praise the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the, for the letters, Lord, that you inspired John the Apostle to write. And Lord, I pray, God, that each and every person in here tonight, Lord, would be encouraged by this word. Lord, that we would all run boldly to the mercy seat, Lord, that we'd all run boldly to the throne of grace. Lord, that sin would not have a foothold, Lord. Lord, that we would be quick to confess, Lord, and fast to believe and rapidly apply the forgiveness of our Lord Jesus Christ. You paid such a great price, Lord, for us to walk in victory, for us to be holy and perfect before you, God. So I pray, Lord, that this word would encourage us to do so, God, in Jesus Christ's name. And everybody said... Amen. God bless you guys. 